0: Amen. Well, tonight is October sixteenth, two thousand nineteen. Our message this evening is called "Re-Engage." Somebody say Re-engage. "Re-Engage." Re-Engage. After an incredible prayer time last Wednesday night, after eight amazing sessions at the One Association Conference, after an incredible night nice service held here in our sanctuary on Sunday, man, we know that everybody's just a little tired. We know that. And we at least know that you guys have been well fed over the last few days. Hey, for that reason that we're so well fed and
1: overly saturated with the Holy Ghost, the pastors have decided that tonight we're just gonna take it easy tonight. I mean, sit back a little. To to take rest, right? Come on, LCM, that's a joke. We're going to go after it in an all-out fashion tonight. Yeah! Now, more than ever, you should understand the importance of our intensity, our pace, our passion for the old ways. I'm talking about the old wine, that old faith of Abraham.
2: Speaking of old ways, you've heard it say many times, and you're going to hear it again tonight. Genesis is not and never has been the story of the creation of the world. If you consider that in only nine chapters, the world is created, destroyed, and renewed again, that leaves 41 chapters for another story. From about the 10th chapter on, the nations are being described so that you can identify the Semitic peoples and they can be singled out. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 11, there is a star named Abraham who is introduced. His singular family is emphasized throughout the rest of the Bible narrative. Tonight, we're going to pick up in Genesis 12. You can turn there. That's where our story of God's bride begins to take shape. It's where God's war, somebody say God's war, God's war. God's war. for a holy
0: wedding takes place. Wow, did you, did you hear what Pastor Eric just said? I mean, maybe you, were, you missed it because you were turning to Genesis 12. But he's talking about whether it's God's war or it's God's wedding that we're after. Is the Bible a wedding story or is it a war story? Yes. 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 As a matter of fact, it is. The only distinction that we have is how this ends. All true wedding stories are war stories, as uh, any wedding planner might be able to tell you. But let's be real. You war to be holy. Yes. You war to be a witness. And after you get married, you start warring to produce godly offspring. Yes. But I, I, we might be getting just a little bit ahead of ourselves. Let's look and focus in on Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Are you there? Yes. Say re-engage. re-engage. Chapter 12, verse
2: 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country. Leave your people and your father's household, and go. Man, that's three categories. Your country, your people, and your father's household. And then what do you do? Go Go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples, that's all nations, that's all Goyim, that's every tribe, tongue, and nation, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What we see here in Genesis 12 is
1: just like any other wedding story, that a bride must leave her identification with her country, her people, her father's household, those three specific areas. In doing so, she have to take on her husband's country. Yeah. She has to take on her husband's people yeah. and her husband's family name. Yeah. Amen. When the Lord called Abraham, there came for seven blessings, and so does the bride of Christ. Let me give you seven of these. Everybody say number one. Number one. You leave a nation to become a greater nation. You leave a nation in order to become a greater nation. mean that it's the nation wed to the Lamb of God. Number two, you are blessed in this process. Say blessed. 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 You are blessed in this process. Number three, your name becomes great because you are wearing his name. Yeah. Number four, you become a blessing to others because he is a blessing to others. Amen. Number five, your husband blesses those who bless you because you are now one with him.
2: Now that is a blessing, 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 blessing. And there's
1: more. Number six, your husband curses those who curse you because you are one with him. There's a shared identity. And lastly, number seven, every tribe, tongue and nation on the planet is blessed through the marriage of a Jewish bride to the God of Israel. And the surprise is that Gentiles become part of the bride, and thus they become part of the groom.
0: Amen. Man, that's an incredible story that we are all becoming more and more familiar with. Look, I want to say this, that the Lord is absolutely glorious. glorious. Come on, say that with me. The Lord is glorious. glorious. Is glorious. But he has uh, interesting taste. Some might even say he has bad taste in women.
3: Hmm. Hmm.
2: I heard somebody sing a song that said, I like my women a little on the trashy side.
0: (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Romans 5, 6 says this. You see that at just the right time, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly.
2: In the Greek that says, On the trashy side. (laughs) On the
0: trashy side. Do you see what what you're doing as you're sitting there? Do you see what you're doing? That hurt your feelings a little bit that we said it that way, didn't it? Yeah, but it should hurt your feelings because we're talking about you. It has always been this way. Where we're going to head to the book of Exodus in just a minute. Which is a book of warfare and betrothal. Our God has an attraction to the cries of the oppressed an attraction to the Jewish bride that he picked not because of her great beauty man isn't the wow. hasn't the lord been speaking of that to us specifically for the last week or so
1: yeah
0: he's not picking you because of your great beauty of your great abilities because of just how fantastic you are he's drawn to those who are crying out because they're being oppressed crying out because they're actually in slavery he wants to display the greatness of his loving kindness to us Let's take a look. Let's pick up in Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 7.
2: Next time your husband says to you, baby, you make me look good, you're going to have to wonder how he means that. Because when God says, you make me look good, he means what I've been able to accomplish through you makes me look good. Go to Exodus 3, 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Wow. Whose people? They're not all his people? I have seen my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. What about the suffering of the Egyptians? God's picked a specific people group. I'm really sorry, Ibrahim. It's glad that you can be included in a Jewish blessing. <laughs> So, somebody say so. 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 Say it like this. So. 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 I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians (laughs) and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the (laughs) HIVites. And the Jebusites. I want you to hear the extent to which God picked a specific people group. A specific people group that were not Egyptians. That were not Canaanites. That were not Hittites. That were not Amorites. That were not Perizzites. That were not Hivites. That were not not Jebusites. He picked one people group and he's willing to throw the other people group out because of his selection. And now... The cry of the Israelites has reached me. Wow. Not all the children of Abraham, just the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people. Whose people? My people. My people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Let's re-engage
1: scripture real quick. Help me out. I'm kind of slow and I need things repeated back to me several times. Seeing the misery of who? My people. Heard the cry of who? My people. Concerned about who's suffering? Their, Their, Their suffering. Their suffering. You know, the Bible is a wedding story and a war story. Because any good groom will rise up and go to war with anyone making his girl miserable anyone that will make her cry, anyone causing her to suffer. The God of Israel is a warrior. The God of Israel is a warrior and he's not a waiter. Because when he rises up, he will come down. He will rescue. He will bring his bride up into the land of inheritance. Ladies, you want a man like that? He hears their cry and it, reaches the throne where he is seated. He sees the oppressor and shows himself to be a warrior. That is what Exodus 12:12 12, 12 is all about. Tonight, we would like to stay
2: focused on the wedding process though. Why do we say a warrior and not a waiter? Because a waiter's there to serve you. To get whatever your little heart desires and he's hoping for a tip. That is not who our God is. He is a righteous groom coming with indignation and holy righteousness to clear the floor of the oppressors who have attacked his bride. In Exodus 6, let's pick up in verse 6. This is going to help us focus in on an ancient wedding process. In Exodus 6, starting in verse 6, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. God's not wasting his words. There are promises here. Happens to be seven of them. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you. He's already said that he wants to marry him. But now he's promising to redeem them. Can I tell you there is a war to get to the wedding? Come on, Bim, is that true? Absolutely. Bim stood his holy ground. And he said, as beautiful as my bride is, our lips will not touch until we do it at an altar in front of God. Was that difficult? Absolutely. But he warred to get it right. Yeah, and don't you think anybody else was getting close to that, those lips? <laughs> I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God." Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. Do you hear how he goes back to the place of the calling of the bride? He always goes back to the original promise, and he is reminding them, I am still here to make good on my promise to a specific people in a specific place. And I am the only one who can do it. He says, I will give it to you as a possession. And then he starts and finishes with the same phrase. I am the Lord. It is based on his character and not the character of the bride. He knows he is going to change the bride in the process.
0: He said, I'm going to do it because I am. And I am still, I am. This is an incredible passage that we've studied many times. He starts and ends with the phrase, I am the Lord. And within this, he says, I will. Guess how many things that he says he will do? Seven Seven things. Seven promises that God makes to his people, that God makes to his bride. You know, it just so happens that those seven things perfectly coincide with the seven feasts of Israel. Yeah, but we don't have enough time to get into that tonight.
2: We're going to stay focused. I wish we had time to go over the seventh feast. We're in the third day of it right now. Yeah, that's right. But we don't have time. You're going to have to
0: come back Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) But we are going to look at the first four that became the part of the Jewish betrothal process. It became also part of their Seder or the Passock meal that they would take. But here we see it in the Jewish betrothal. They are as follows, and you can follow along with us. He says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke. Under the yoke of whom? Okay, you guys got to get with us here. Out from under the yoke of whom? The The Egyptians. See, the idea here, in the betrothal process, a groom would come to his would-be bride, and he would begin to speak to her and say, these are promises that God made to us. Therefore, it is the standard of what I should then turn and make a promise to you. See, I'm going to take you out. God took his people out from under the yoke of oppression within the Egypt. And he's saying, a husband would say to a wife and say, I'm going to take you out from under any parental authority. Any other authority in your life, I'm going to take you out from under that. What is a yoke?
2: It's a way of life. Whatever your life has been, I am about to become your pastor, sweetheart. Your life is now about to resemble the Lord. You are going to reflect me not your daddy, Amen. but you can call me daddy if you like.
0: <laughs> the second thing that the Lord says is I will free you. Somebody say free you. Free, free you. you. Hey, but I thought he just said he was going to take him out of Egypt. Wouldn't that make them free? Apparently not. Apparently you can change your authority structure and still have parts of you that are more like where you came from than who you need to resemble. See, God comes in and he says, I will free you. I won't only bring you out, but I will free you. I will free you from the incompleteness of your own life. I will free you from those thoughts that you're having that say that you should be an individual. And now you're going to live in a life that's parallel to someone else. He says, I'm going to free you from all that independence of what you think you should be doing. I'm going to betroth you to someone that you should reflect perfectly. And we're going to do it together. Oh,
2: come on. Say we're going to do it together.
0: We're going to do it together. Number three says this. I will redeem you. Somebody say redeem you. Redeem redeem you. With an outstretched arm. I'm going to purchase you. Any debts that you have, I will now take care of by my own sacrifice, by my own payment. Baby, you ain't got to worry about a thing. I'm going to redeem you with my own life. That little 1993 Saturn, it's okay, baby.
2: I'll take over the payments. (laughs) I'll put
1: gas in your uh, 94 Tercel all day long.
3: (laughs)
0: Number four says, I will take you as my own. Somebody say, take you. Take you. Yeah. That the consummation of this marriage is going to be the fulfillment of the promise in the actual land where God determined it. These four promises were both the betrothal promises and a declaration of war at Passover. Think about what God had to do to accomplish these promises. He went to war with the gods of Egypt. He went to war to get his people out. He's not just making a nice promise with his mouth, with the words. He's actually willing to fight for it. The God of Israel was coming to redeem his bride and punish her oppressors. Come on, this is a righteous attitude, man. You should reflect this. Yeah. To allow someone to walk up to your wife and say something that they shouldn't say. To disrespect her. If you allow that, then you're not a man. Yeah, there, there should have been a better response there. For a husband to protect his wife rightly is a reflection of what God did for his own people. Nudge him in the side and say amen, honey.
2: <laughs> wow, y'all are so blessed that you're never attacked, huh?
0: There's never a problem. Nudge him in the side and say amen, honey. The God of Israel was coming to redeem his bride and punish her oppressors. The people were, of course, delivered and met with God in Exodus chapter 20 under a chopah formed by the cloud of his presence and under, under his commands.
1: What a beautiful sight that must be. The cloud of God's presence. He's coming to redeem his bride with his presence, he's coming to punish her enemies with his presence so that you don't get lost in the beauty and the complexity of the wedding or war plan. Let us give you an overview of the ancient Jewish process. This process starts with a Hebrew word called shidukin
2: means the arrangement perfectly, by the way, as long as Ohad's not in here. Oh, I got a thumb up. It was exemplary.
1: (laughs) The shidukin is an arrangement process all weddings were arranged. There was a right of refusal, but not of intention. A right of refusal, but not a right uh, to, re- um, sorry, a right of refusal, not of intention. Initiation. Oh, sorry, initiation.
2: In other words, Apparently, Cassidy could say, no, but Cassidy couldn't say, I want that one. That's right. <laughs> John 6, 44 echoes this.
1: No one comes into the Father unless the Spirit draws him. See, you
2: can refuse him, but you can't initiate it. You can't say, Lord, today I'm ready for you to draw me. It doesn't work that way. When the Lord is calling, today is the day of salvation. You don't get to choose the day. Cassidy, you
1: had no choice, darling. It was done. God calls the bride. But the bride can, ref- uh, sorry, God calls the bride. She can refuse, but she can't start the initiation process. Ashad Khan, like Eleazar in Genesis 24, he was the ambassador that selected the bride. Mm. He drew her willingness by speaking of his master and giving
2: gifts that represented the reign of his master. Think through that for a minute. Eleazar is the chief steward in the house Of the exalted Father. Eleazar means God is a comfort. Most people would immediately see this is the Holy Spirit. And when he finds a woman who meets the criteria that he's looking for, she's serving not just him, but all ten of the camels that went through a long, dry process to get there. Like ten mitzvot. When she's doing that, he begins to share with her gifts. He begins to say to her things about his master. He begins to tell her good things about where he has come from and give her representations of it right where she's at. Gold bracelets on her arm, a gold ring in her nose. Aren't you glad we said nose? Gold ring in her nose. She'd be divinely led. Her works would be empowered by divinity. Oh man, that is something. That's actually a taste of the age to come. That these things were given, these
1: gifts were given, as a promise of what the fulfillment of their wedding would be. In fact, Paul saw himself as a Shad khan. In 2 Corinthians 11.2, it says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Mm. I promised you to one husband. Just one. To Christ himself. So that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Paul, like Eleazar, was that servant seeking out the ones that the father's heart desired. Ones that he would put those gold bracelets, those gold earrings, that divinity upon them, claiming them as his own. And when the Khan made an acceptable agreement, I mean, I'm sorry, arrangement, it was sealed in a ketubah. Sealed in a ketubah or wedding contract that determined behavior from that moment forward. That is, of course, also the word of God. Once the promises had been made, the couple moved to the erusion or sanctification period marked by several public announcements. From that time on, they were considered married, but had
2: not yet consummated their union. From the moment things were arranged... From the moment that gifts were exchanged, from the moment that the ketubah was accepted, in God's eyes and the community's eyes, they were married, even though they had not come to the ceremony. Surely you can see this. You have been redeemed by a promised son. Gifts have been spread abroad, just like Hebrews 2, four said that they would be. You are right now in an engagement period, a sanctification period. You're as good as married, but you have not yet been married. That's why the Bible speaks about it in double talk. Sometimes as if you've been married, and sometimes as if you're going to get married, because during the erusion period, you were both. When I say rusion, think sanctification. It's basically what the word means. The groom would stand up publicly. Nothing in the Bible was done in secret. It was always done out front where the whole community could see it. He would make four promises. He learned this from watching his heavenly father. He learned it from reading Exodus 6. So a groom would stand and say, honey, I'm going to bring you out. You heard from Pastor Wade. It was out of parental authority, but it was also out of whatever way of life she had been living, which was the second promise. I will free you. Man, you know as well as I do that you have callings that can't be completed without the help of another. That is a kind of burden, and she would be freed from it. I will redeem you. Well, he doesn't know what her debts would be yet, and it doesn't matter. He desires her to the point that whatever it takes, that is what I will do. And he says, I will take you to be with me. This would take place in front of her family. I kind of think we should reinstitute it. It would cut out all of the in-law problems that we sometimes have. The bride would acknowledge and she would accept the promises. They would do it by holding a cup of wine together. The Catholics got that right. I'm sorry. When they drank the cup of wine together, it would be them signifying that they now shared the same fate in life. If he could pull it off, if she could pull it off, then they would succeed together. If he was unable to do what he said, then she went down uh, in failure with him. That cup meant whatever our two fates are, they are now joined together. After drinking from the same cup, both people did something. They got baptized. They got baptized because they wanted to show that they were being cleansed from whatever came before. Not just sin. Way of life. Way of thinking. Way of acting. They wanted to be cleansed. And when they came out of the water... They were now, in their eyes, in a new covenant, a new commitment. They were now reborn into two entities destined to become as one. Now, that's an incredible thing. You may have been to many weddings, but you've probably never seen that occur. This baptismal was actually preparation for the new way of life that they were about to embark on together. Now, I say together... And right after the baptismal, they did something that was difficult. They went their separate ways. The groom went home to work on his father's house, which was called an insula. It was an ancestral dwelling. It stayed in the family for centuries, had to be in the same place. And it was the son's job to add on to what the father had already built. Now, you think it's hard to work with us. Can you imagine? If a family's home had been in the same place for hundreds of years and you're responsible for making the new addition, the son had no idea when his father would declare that it was ready. It had to meet his father's approval. And his father was thinking about the old wine that had been given. Is this as good as what I had to build? Is this as good as what was given to Abraham? Is this as good... As it can possibly get, and on the day that he decided that it met his approval, then he would send his son to go get his bride That's a good word. yeah it 's an amazing word it 's also why you could say that the son never knew the day or the hour Now, the bride was going through a similar process. The bride would leave the baptismal waters, and where do you think she went? She went back to her home in her home she would begin working on the wedding dress. She would begin uh, tending to the ten coins that she was given as an engagement token. That brings a lot of light to parables, doesn't it? Yeah. If you got a, a, an engagement ring that had ten stones in it and you lost one of the stones the day after it was given to you, how hard would you search? Yeah. And when you found it, how much would you rejoice? Yeah. See, Jesus was using wedding language. She also, while she's working on her wedding dress, which, by the way, in the Bible, what you're clothed in always has to do with your actions. That's why you can be clothed with Christ by acting like Him. What she's really working on is becoming a bride worthy of the man she's now pledged to. She did something. All Jewish brides did it, which is another parable That Jesus told that had to have been kind of humorous. There was a man pledged to be married to ten virgins. Some of them didn't have oil in their lamps. Just in case he came at nighttime, she put a lamp in her window to show, I am still making myself ready. Day or night, I am ready. Whether you come at nighttime or in the daytime, I am ready. I am here working on my character, working on my dress, working to be prepared to be joined. To you. Now, when the groom did appear, oh man, and we're still longing and waiting for that. When the groom did appear, he was accompanied by a great company of his friends. They didn't just pick a crowd, they picked a company of friends, and they would blow shofars and trumpets. That begins the next stage of our ancient Jewish wedding ceremony called the Nesween.
0: We have the first stage that's called the Shidukin. We have the second stage that is called an erusion period, where all of these things that our pastors have just told us, and it leads us to the next, the third phase, which is the Nesween. By the way, that word means to be carried. Come on, after you've made yourself righteous, after you've been performing righteous actions, hadn't been sanctified by preparing yourself for the groom that is coming, don't you need to be carried? Come on, carried on eagle's wings, carried above judgment, carried to himself. Makes me think of Norbit and Rasputia. <laughs>
2: You need to not be a bride that cannot be carried to a holy place. You need to be working on your character. And by the way, when I say bride,
0: you men are brides in this scenario. Pastor should get a plus three bonus points of using that example right there. That was excellent. I lost a hundred pounds this year. (laughs) I can get away with
2: it.
0: See, we can show you end time uh, revelation or Norbit. You you never n- quite know what, what you're going to get here. Nasweed means to be carried. The groom carried his bride to a public ceremony that lasted seven days. Oh, yeah. Wow. He used his talit to form a hopa. The talit was put on four poles that stood above them. And they held their ceremony underneath the hopa, signifying God's canopy of his presence and of his commands to them. The truth is is that the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 form the basis for the entirety of this ceremony because the God of Israel expressed his intentions in Exodus and it has never changed. Somebody never. say it never changes. Never. Never. never changes. Isaiah wrote about it and he wrote about it frequently. Let's start in Isaiah 54. Say there when you get to verse 5. Isaiah 54, 5. Say anything other than Norbit. I'm now
2: ashamed I used that reference. Need to learn to follow my own acts teaching. <laughs> Y'all help me out. Are you there? Yeah. For your maker is your husband. That's an incredible story. By the way, who do you think Isaiah's audience is? You, you, don't, you don't think he's, he's talking to the Inuit peoples of Alaska? Oh. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. I love when the scripture uses the words El Shaddai or El Shaddai. The God who is enough. Enough to what? To complete what he started in you. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He promised he would redeem her and he will redeem her. He is called the God of all of the earth. The Lord will call you. What do you mean? You mean when he pledged himself to her and she pledged herself to him, he knew that she would stray from her commitment? The Lord will call you back. This is, by the way, before the Babylonian captivity. This is before the Assyrian captivity. This is just normal straying and wandering. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. Man, could there be any more important thing we could be reading since people say Israel has been rejected as a wife in favor of some new entity? The Lord said in advance that this is how it would feel, but He would call her back for a brief moment. I've learned when the Lord says short or brief, He has a different definition than you might. But then again, so does Titus. We'll be there in just a minute. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? By just a minute, I mean a good long Texas minute. It's a seven-hour car trip. We'll be there in just a minute. Right. For a brief moment, I abandoned you. But with deep compassion, I will bring you In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a... a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you. Man, that gets really crystal clear, doesn't it? Says the Lord, your Redeemer, to me this is like the days of Noah when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my fickle, failing love. No. Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, get this, who has compassion on you. The antecedent to the pronoun you is the original bride of the God of Israel.
1: Let's re-engage this. Who did Isaiah have in mind when he wrote this? Who did the Scriptures... 4C would feel abandoned in this process. Who did God promise to marry? As we saw in the scripture, that his promises were as established and firm as the promise that was given to Noah, never to flood the earth again. Able to sustain his word. That means that the covenant of peace is still intact. It has not been replaced. It has not been retrofitted. His love is unfailing, according to verse 10. That is a God who is able to sustain what he says and see it unto completion. Who has acted every bit as unfaithfully, though,
2: as Israel? You have. You have. If he turns his back on them, that would be pretty bad for you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. God's promise, though, is to call her And you
2: as well back. There is a promise of redemption. Turn a few pages to Isaiah 62. Now we have some very special homiletics for you guys coming. Which is why we rearranged the room. I want to encourage you to stay completely with us. So that you'll understand what is happening. Isaiah 62 starting in verse 2. The nations will see your righteousness. And all kings your glory. God is speaking about Israel in this passage. You will be called by a new name. You know that happens to every bride on the day that she's actually married. But it does not happen during the betrothal period. It's a name that's promised. It's a name that can be called on. It's a name that you get to hope in. But it's not a name that you actually have yet. That the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand. Man, that sounds like something that he cherishes. A royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted. Or name your land desolate. But you will be called Hezba. My delight is in her. And your land will be called Beulah. Married. God marries the people and he marries the land. I can assure you he's not talking about Australia. <laughs> For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so your sons, or that word can be builder, will marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. This is a picture of God's happiness over what He has been able to accomplish in a bride that strays, but He brings her back. A bride that is covered in shame, but He makes her covered in glory. A bride that loses her way, but He
0: calls her back. Church, this is both a, bet- a betrothal, a wedding story, and a war story. Do you hear that in those verses there that, that there would be a crown of splendor in God's hand? Proverbs 12, 4 says that a wife of noble character is like a crown for her husband. This is what the Bible's teaching us constantly. And we miss the beautiful picture that is laid here. The nations are going to see Israel, the bride, marry the promised son. The nations will see the glory of the bride and of the son. Israel is going to be a crown of splendor. They're going to be a crown of splendor. She's not going to be deserted. No. She's not going to be desolate. No. God's delight is in her. Yes. That is a beautiful, beautiful picture. She will be married. That is an awesome thing. And God says he's going to be married to the land. Yes. The land itself is going to be married. The builder of the bride is going to rejoice over her. Come on now, husbands, on those days when your wife you've, your wife just shines so brightly just shines brightly, and you couldn't be any more proud. I got to admit, uh, the pastor's wives, I want to compliment all of them on what they did at the conference. Yeah. yeah, I can just tell you. My wife is serving in the back, but let me tell you, couldn't be any more proud of my wife. She worked hard. It allowed me, as the builder of the bride... To rejoice over her. Yeah. Amen. And believe me, I rejoiced over her. We don't have time tonight to show you all the ways that this is a war
2: story. See, For y'all me. expect that from me, but not from him. This is great. <laughs> you know, rejoice means to do it again.
0: And again. And again. And
2: again. Yeah. That's a good word. I'm glad it's all not me. <laughs> why we move the elders further back from this <laughs> state.
0: Right. Hey, do you see what's going on here in the room though? Let's, let's talk. We're, we're having a great time up here because we're talking about the wedding of the lamb. The Lord is talking about rejoicing. How can you do this rightly and speak about what God is laying out as his marriage and not start having just a little bit of joy come over you, a little bit of rejoicing that goes on because tonight we don't have time to show you all the ways that this is actually a war story for the wedding of the ages that takes place. We are experiencing a 4,000-year uh, bride makeover story here is what we got. But we do have time to show you at least one example from the Ketuvim. Let's do Ruth 4.9. Ruth
2: 4.9. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Mahlon. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabitess. Now this is an interesting thing to me, Ruth, the Moabitess. Ruth ends up in the lineage of Israel. Her children end up in the lineage of Israel right on down to King David. But she never loses the distinction, Ruth, the Moabitess i 'm going to take a short break here for a second because I can let 's put Colossians four ten on the screen I just i 'm just going to do it. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnaba. You have received instructions about him if he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called justice, also sends his greeting. These are the only spiritual Jews... These are the only what? What's that word? Jews. Among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. And they have proved a comfort to me. Hold there. They're still called Jews. Why are they still called Jews? Oh my goodness. Well, let's go forward in the text. Epaphras, who is one of you... One of you goat-worshipping Gentiles now converted... To worship the Son of God and the Prince of Israel. Epaphras, who is one of you. Listen, Ruth did not stop being a Moabitess. She just had Jewish children. Epaphras does not stop being a Gentile any more than the three previous men stopped being Jews. They've just all become one bride. Distinctions in function, but one purpose. Let's go back to Ruth 4.9. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Machlan. I have also acquired Ruth the Gentile, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records, today you are witnesses. It was important that the name of a Jewish man be attached to that Jewish land, and God used a Gentile woman to do it, but she produced a Jewish child. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like... Somebody say like. Like. Rachel. Was Rachel a Gentile or a Jew? Jew. Leah. Was she a Gentile or a Jew? Jew. Who together built up the house of... Israel. See, we as Gentiles grafted into the bride of Christ, we still build up the house of... Israel. Today... I'm sorry. May you have standing in Ephrathra and be famous in Bethlehem.
1: Do you hear in this scripture, there's an announcement that was made. I'm not talking about just a Facebook or Twitter announcement. Not even just a whisper to your brother across the room. A public proclamation of something great happening in this family. Even to the point where the elders... Were witnesses to it. Oh, it's serious when elders get involved.
2: They carry authority, or Will Reagan would say, "ethority." yes.
1: <laughs> Thin in the thigh with authority. So the elders now stand as giving their approval of a beautiful thing that's happening, and that is the bride now includes a Gentile.
2: Oh, no, he didn't. She just got a little bit more on the trashy side. <laughs> I, we were thinking about the, the region that
1: Ruth comes from, right? She's a Moabitess, which means she comes from the land of Moab. I'm looking at this scripture and something spiritual is just jumping out to me. And that is, Ruth is not just a Moabitess from Moab. She is the mother of all brides. Amen. I'm talking about that symbol of hope for us pork, crawfish, baking-eating Gentiles to be attached to the king of kings who is a Jew. Thank you. Thank you very much. This means that the name, the property, and the people are still Israeli. The bride was Gentile. The name, the property, and the people still remain Israeli. And it is her job to maintain it in Israeli hands. A Gentile would be included in the bride, but the bride was to build up. Everybody say build up. Build Build up. up. The bride was to build up the house of Israel, not to replace it. Build up, but don't replace it. The original people, the original place and plan, never change. But there is a mysterious inclusion of Gentiles that love the groom, whether Jew or Gentile. Matthew 22 teaches us the process for inclusion
2: into the promise of marriage that was given to Israel. Let's go to Matthew 22, eight and talk about what it takes to be included. Ooh. <laughs> well, that's off the secret menu. <laughs> He's got torched, all right. Matthew 22, are y'all in verse 8? Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready. By the way, at a wedding banquet, you are still not married. It's a seven-day-long banquet. The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find, (laughs) even if they're on the trashy side. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find. By the way, the streets we're talking about are Israeli streets, but I'm going to leave that alone so we don't lose our larger point. So the servants went out into the Israeli streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing his wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how you get in here without wedding clothes? Do you hear the association? You can have an invitation and that's good. But if you're not dressed properly, your invitation can be revoked. The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited. Say many, many. Many. Are invited. Many people are invited to the wedding. They may even show up.
0: But few are chosen. Church, this is a parable that draws on the whole shidukan, Erusion, and Nasuin process. The entirety of this you get to see there. The bride has the right of refusal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> shidukan. <laughs>
2: I hadn't played a video game since I was seven.
0: It's a rare night tonight. The bride has the right of refusal. But that refusal only allows for the inclusion of others. Amen. Whether Jew or Gentiles, those who attend the wedding must be dressed properly, especially because the the leader of the wedding provides the opportunity yeah. for their garments. That's good. He actually gives yes. the garments to you to make sure that you understand what you're supposed to be dressed in. So to not do it is an exclusion, is putting your, is turning your heart against yeah. the leader of the banquet. Yeah. And saying, I don't want what you have, I'll go ahead and wear my own deeds.
2: Wow. I've never seen anything like that in
1: the
0: church. Never. And hey, you
2: just keep doing it your way, you hear?
1: Pastor, I'll say that's trashy with a side of Diablo sauce. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's
2: trailer trashy.
0: Church, many are invited. But only a few will take the care to actually dress themselves in righteous deeds properly. The dress is the deeds that God has prepared in advance for you to do. See, you're not allowed to choose what you want to wear. This is not some process with some toddler that you let pick whatever they want to wear. It's mismatched or wear a little... Outfit, a costume, superhero. See, this is not those kind of things. You have to be dressed in exactly what God has purposed for you to do.
2: You can't show up as a devil in a little blue dress and get in. <laughs> it doesn't true. work that way. The dress are your
0: actions. Yeah. Yeah. See, there is a threat to the erosion process, to the sanctification process. People commit well. Oh my. oh, my. Think about this past weekend. People commit really, really well. Mm. There's a whole lot that have been invited. But people follow through very poorly. Yeah. Yeah. How are you going to do in this? See, we can command, we can run to the altars all we want, but the truth and the proof is in what you are doing with your deeds. Come on. Are they or are they not what God has prescribed for you and laid out for you to wear? There is no other choice. You can't kind of be doing this. The brother of Jesus actually spoke about this exact thing. Let's turn to James chapter 4. When you find verse 4,
2: say wedding. 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 wedding.
0: wedding. wedding. wedding.
2: wedding. It's a beautiful day for a white wedding. wedding. We're now going to talk about Billy's idol. Exactly. Verse 4. You adulterous people. That's a strange thing for Jesus' brother to say. He must be talking to lost people. No, flip to the front of the book. He is talking to a group from the 12 tribes that are pledged to Jesus Christ, who happens to be James' brother. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? See, he recognizes based on his culture that once you have been pledged, once you are in ketubah, Once you have drank from the same cup, it's adultery to consider anyone else. He recognizes that. It's not the physical act of adultery. It is adultery, though. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses, say chooses, chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy Enemy. of God. Or... (laughs) Do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies that's a nice word for jealous is jealous intensely he's intensely jealous
1: when we look at this that intense jealousy is the place that the spirit of god is writing through james That it is adultery to be promised to the groom, but love the things that God hates. Mm. That is adultery. What if you just wanted
2: to wear something that was different? And I'm not talking about clothing. Mm. What if you just wanted to say you were working for Him, but you were doing the work you wanted to do? That's adultery.
1: Lord, I know you told me to go do this for somebody else.
2: But I have something better in mind to go do instead. Same book, same chapter. When you know the good you ought to do and do not do it, you sin. That is putting on something other than the wedding dress that he provides for you. And he will not accept you. He chose you because you were rather pathetic But dressed in his deeds, you would be glorious. Not dressed in your own deeds. His deeds. Another
1: aspect is flirtations with worldly things is the breaking of your vow. Sealed by the cup of communion. That is the third cup of betrothal. That discovering or looking for an alternative to the will of God in a worldly fashion is a breaking of that
2: seal. Do you realize that he held up the third cup at the Passover, which was Pesach, but it was also mimicking a wedding? He holds up the third cup and says, I am redeeming you in this cup. Wow. Do you realize that when you take the cup of communion, you are promising his will and no other? You are promising wow. his wedding dress and no other? You are promising him exclusive. Exclusivity and no other. It's not just a communion cup. In fact, before it was ever that, it was a promise of marriage. Yeah. Marriage on the wedding side and blood on the Passover side indicating warfare. He expects you to go to war to be his bride. Yeah. He expects that. How serious is that? Yeah. This is why people were dying In the Corinthian church. For taking of the cup. Being spirit filled. Manifesting all of the gifts. But doing what they liked. Instead of what he told them to do. I
1: see this in a reflection of. Jesus expectation of us. This is the very thing that he fulfilled to his father. He only did. What he saw the father doing. He only said what he heard the father say. And he is the perfect groom is looking for a perfect bride who will do exactly what he's already demonstrated. The spirit of the groom envies, envies. He is jealous, jealous for our affection. But we want to ask you tonight. Have you been faithful to your vows? Have you been faithful to your vows to your groom? Do you need to re engage?
2: Why do we say re engage? Hmm. You're already in the engagement period. The Shaduken called, arranged, you made promises, and your groom has made promises. You are already married to him, you just haven't consummated the marriage. Have you been faithful? To him or do you need to go through a re engagement? Is Paul Teal crying out
1: behind you, wanting you back, this worldly groom wanting you to come back as a, a bride to the worldly ways? You cannot re engage or marry David until Paltiel is sent back home.
2: Man, the spirit of Abner. Go back home. home. David said, do not show up in this place without my bride. Because the Bible is a wedding story and a war story. The book of Revelation is the result of the whole warfare wedding process. Go to the 19th chapter as we come to a very special place. Chapter 19 and verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. Like the roar of rushing waters. And like loud peals of thunder shouting. Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad. And give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride... You mean it hasn't already happened? For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. How important is it tonight that we make ourselves ready? Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Given to her. What would it be like if she refused it? Well, you read that in the book of Matthew. Then the angel said to me, Right blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Do you hear how those who are invited and dressed properly become the bride? Man, to show up at a wedding. Man, that's like a movie one of you single girls would watch. To show up at a wedding and your dress was just so hot, you got married that day instead of the other one. Then the angel said to me, "Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb." And he added, "These are the true words of God."
0: Come on, somebody say true words. True, true words. words. Never have there been truer words spoken than this. You want to talk about raising a hallelujah when you are at the marriage of the lamb. This is exactly what you can do is have a hallelujah. The warfare leaves the prostitute who promised well, but delivered poorly, condemned. Yes. This kind of warfare leaves the bride radiant, dressed in white deeds that were prepared in advance for her to do. This is both a war and a wedding. Amen.
2: I want to I demonstrate for you the Shadokin process, the Erujan process, the Nesween process... And so I need a couple. I could... Boj, Natalie... Actually, you guys are married. That doesn't work right, does it? Mario and Alicia. We could... They're married too. Maybe I grab Gabe. Gabe, why don't you come on up here? Now, you have to imagine that the spirit of the living God were drawing Gabe to himself. That would be... That'd be a beautiful thing, wouldn't it? But the... Marriage process during the Shirukin process is about a groom and a bride. Do we have pictures somewhere in here? Yes, we do. Oh man. But there's two. (laughs) Again, it's two. Ah, now we're getting there. You're gonna you're gonna be drawn together with Michael. Ah, I'm beginning to see it. What if the Lord had been working for many years to draw somebody together? What if because of their youth and immaturity, it was hard to see? What if they screwed up a lot and God was able to work through it? Well, that sounds a lot like your drawing to the Lord, doesn't it? After the Shadukin process, we would move... Straight into the erosion process. Gabe, what would that look like? You're going to need somebody to demonstrate it with. Who would you pick? So you would have a young groom and a young bride, and he would make Four promises to her. He would say, hey, I'm going to take you out of your mama and daddy's house. I'm going to free you from your single way of life. I will do whatever it takes to redeem you. You have a debt. You have a problem. It's now mine. And through my own sacrifice, I will alleviate it. I'm going to take you to be with me. And if she said that she wanted to, the way she would do that is they would, well, let's just act it out. They would wrap their arms around the same cup, and they would each take a sip, saying that forever their fates were bound together. Wow. It's a good thing it's just a sermon example, though. (laughs) Give me that cup back, boy. Now, in our country, we don't exchange ten coins. What do we do?
3: (laughs) Olivia, you're the love of my life and my best friend. And I kneel before you unable to promise any of the things that the world desires. But what I can promise you is that no matter what, we will do the Lord's will. And as the Lord's love is enduring, so my love is enduring for you forever. Olivia, will you marry me? Walk and hug.
2: You better put that ring on her finger, son. They're trembling. One last hug. Now, we wanted this to be public for a lot of reasons. Um, We're now going to move through the rest of the Nasween process. Y'all can take a seat for a minute. Gabriel, are there some things you'd like to say to the congregation? Yes.
3: So during our erosion period, in order to maintain a spotless bride and testimony for the Lord, we're going to remain physically apart. This is the last time we're going to hug until the, our fathers and the Lord bring us back to this altar. Yeah, the commitment. Is that something that you guys would like to
2: see? Yes. Is that something y'all will help them with? Yes.
3: The commitment is we're devoting ourselves to discipleship. All of the frivolous things are going away. We're pressing in to learn to become what the Lord is calling us to be. Gabe, do you have any cards on you? Yes, sir.
2: <laughs> Pull went out and explained to us what discipleship is beginning to look like before we begin all of our marriage counseling.
3: I am full in Christ, Colossians chapter 2 verses 9 through 10. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. This means personally to me is that I have fullness. I don't need things around me, the car, the job, all of those things. I am full in Christ. What that means for my beautiful bride is that we don't need a Dressed to make us happy or a particular kind of home. We're full in Christ. And any time that we're in Christ, we're living a full life.
2: How many of those cards did you start on day one of your erosion process with?
3: Twelve. How many?
2: Twelve. Twelve. And we'll add to them every day. If we took our betrothals more seriously, marriage counseling would not be so difficult. What we're doing now is so that this couple can start their betrothal process correctly. They're going to get baptized. Say, now wait. We only get baptized once in our life. Shut up. You take a shower every day. And if you don't, you need to. We're not saying they're becoming born again. We're saying that they need to wash off the filth of their single lives and prepare themselves to come right out of the water and into a new stage of life. Can you get behind that? Pastors, would y'all, first goes the groom, then goes the bride. Jesus said, let this be done for righteousness' sake. Have you ever wondered one of the many reasons Jesus got baptized? Sit all the way down. Father, we're asking that in this young man's life, the single life would be washed away. Lord, that here and now something new would be born. Something born of heaven. Lord, that the groom and the groom's calling would begin to rise in him in a way that forever changes his life. Lord, that he would be a man worthy to be followed. That he would be a man that is in touch with you. That he would be a man that hears from you so his wife is able to follow him. In the name of Jesus, we commit him to this new path in life. That's Mama, would you come here? As much as I'm responsible for making sure that Gabriel is ready on that day, Mama is responsible for making sure that Olivia is ready on that day. And her husband is responsible for mama. It's a nice little flow of shalom there. They've done a fine, fine job. And you can appreciate the gulf between being a single young woman and what is now going to be required of her. Over the next six months or so, this is what we're working on. But it starts right here. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are asking that in this amazing young woman... You would indwell her with Your Spirit, empower her to make a beautiful wedding dress of deeds. Lord, that she would carry the ten coins of Your commandments on her head in a way that brings honor to her earthly groom and her heavenly groom. We love You and ask that as she comes out of this water, she would be fresh and new, walking as a woman prepared beautifully for her husband. In the name of Jesus. You can come stand right here so long as it's six inches apart. (laughs) Stretch forward your hands towards them. Lord, may they share your cup all the days of their life. May they also share the cup with each other. Lord, as they walk on from these baptismal waters, we're asking that a new life, one that is becoming intertwined with you, and intertwined with each other would begin Lord we're saying let your cleansing power let your holy sanctification let your new birth process be alive and well in them in this new stage in life bababa alasa sur babasha hallelujah Let's do this let's excuse our two young people to go to separate dressing rooms And change and come back. Church, this takes us to an interesting place. Worship team, you can come to the stage. Have you ever seen that before? It should be commonplace. It's not. Because we're Gentiles learning what it means to be in a Jewish family. It doesn't require us to give up our identity, but it certainly means our identity can't replace theirs. I don't want to talk about such big theological subjects anymore. I want to bring it home right now. If you've taken communion before in your life, raise your hand. So you are already betrothed. You're betrothed in His blood. He hasn't taken you to be with the Father yet in the land, drinking the cup again. Which means that you've had time to get things wrong. You may have a few Teals chasing after you. At the conference this weekend... Many of you had a new spark in life, and I'm so excited about that. but what does it mean about the day before the conference? As we sit here tonight, how many years have you been engaged to him? Call out some years. Keep going. Could you put 2 Corinthians 11,2? I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband. Who is he writing this to? Christians, believers, to Christ. So that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived... By the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Have you kept your erusion period spotlessly, blamelessly? Have you lost your way for whole days, months, years? do you need to start your dedication to your Jewish groom over again if he'll still accept you? Maybe when you made the commitment, you didn't understand the seriousness of it. Maybe when you made the commitment, you thought he would take anyone. And so you acted like everyone else. But knowing what you know now, If he appeared in the sky, would you have to hang your head over your behavior? Have you completed your work? If he appeared in the sky now, would you be elated? Or would you be thinking, I wish it had been sometime later? You need to think through that answer. Because every man's going to give an account for his work. And what you did that he didn't tell you to do is burned up. What if you could just Start again. We're going to begin to worship. I don't really care what the theologians think about it. I'm not saying you need to get saved again. I'm saying that some of you might need to wash away some filthiness. You might need to come out of these waters again and say, Lord, I want to get busy making my wedding dress. I've been making a lot of things. I haven't been making my wedding dress. You know, the, the bride could go home to her parents. They were like pastors. Make it like this, not like that. You're stitching that wrong. Get this right. The son could go home to a father that was like a pastor. Have you been kicking against every instruction? Are you sure he'll be pleased with what you've made? As we begin to worship... We're not going to beg anybody. We, we do this out by the road for salvation to tell the whole world. But this is an in-house matter. Do you need to start again? Has your discipleship been a failure and you need to start again? Has your life been defined by something that the Lord won't accept and you need to start again? Do you belong to Him because you all took communion but you haven't made good on it? If that's you, we're not going to make a big show of it. Come dunk yourself in the water and stand up and ask Him to do it again. He will. When we've all had that chance. Since you've already taken communion, we're not taking communion then getting baptized. This is not salvation. This is a renewal. A re-engagement period. You will have a chance to come out of the water and then join him at the communion table again and say, this time, Lord. This time, I will honor the cup. This time, I will honor the body. This time, I will complete my engagement period to the day of our actual ceremony. As we begin to worship, We're not going to exchange words about it. This is between you and him. There'll be no certificates. As we begin to worship, if that's what you need to do, the pastors will be here to help you get under and up. That's it. Step out, move on. Then we're going to take communion together. Coming out of the one association, we learned we have to be springs to the nation's. There is nothing more despicable than a muddied well or polluted spring. That is what it's like when the righteous give way to the wicked. That will not feed the nations. This is a rededication to the purity that is the Lord. You can stand to your feet. We're not closing our eyes. We're not bowing our heads and we're not turning off the lights. Peyton, if you'll just begin to worship. Church, you all worship with Peyton. Don't you worry about what everybody else is doing. You do what you must do.